Thank you for listening to Industry, the world's only monthly educational podcast that covers the video game industry's entire history. My name is Eldar Basic, and this script was written and researched by me. This episode talks about the formation, history, and games of famed Diablo, Overwatch, and Warcraft developer Blizzard Entertainment. Thanks so much again for listening to the show, and I hope you learned something. to industry. In the future, we will continue to host episodes on development companies, but we're also going to be doing episodes based on single video game franchises as well. Or we're even going to cover legendary developers themselves, like Hideo Kojima, Gabe Newell, John Carmack, etc. We're launching a Patreon soon and a YouTube channel dedicated to industry so you can literally watch these episodes. And we're also finally on social media, so you can find us on Instagram at IndustryPod and Twitter at IndustryCast. Also, Be sure to give us those coveted five stars on iTunes and Google Play. We're on there now, too. You can find us on Podbean, Mixer, and wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. All in all, there are tons of exciting things coming from the industry team, and we can't wait for you to be a part of it. But first, a message from our sponsors. Industry is sponsored by 8bit.net a video game news and content site that is home to podcasts like The Hungry Gamers, 8BitCast, and more. They cover relevant topics in video games with their panel of hilariously accented and eccentric Australian hosts. One of my favorite shows is the new show It Is What It Is, which aims to keep you caught up on everything going on in games, geek culture, politics, and more. There's also the wrestling-themed 8Bit Mania. 8Bit also offers a collection of other great third-party podcasts as well, from this show, to John Opech's eclectic interview series Putting in Work, to Dash Culture, which is a geek culture show hosted by Dash and Bundy. 8-Bit also has a ton of quality, retro-fueled merch available on their site, and a YouTube channel dedicated to video game reviews, first impressions, and let's plays. So, for everything gaming, Australian, and geeky, head on over to 8-Bit.net. Industry is also brought to you from our friends at PodParadise.com. Pod Paradise is an online podcast directory that aims to host unique shows and help a wide audience find new podcasts based on their hobbies, interests, and careers. Head on over to Pod Paradise and discover a new show today. February of 1991, Alan Adam, Frank Pierce, and Mike Morhaime found the company Silicon and Synapse. Silicon and Synapse started operating as a small, humble, and honest porter of video games. Their early ports included Lord of the Rings on Amiga and Shanghai on Windows. In 1992, Blizzard, still known as Silicon and Synapse at the time, released a remake of Racing Destruction Set called RPM Racing for the SNES 
The next year, they released Rock and Roll Racing and The Lost Vikings for the SNES as well. The Lost Vikings was a game that was dripping with personality. It was a side-scroller that's actually, you know, since found its way in some of Blizzard's current IP. Moving a little bit along, in 1994, Silicon and Synapse briefly changed their name to Chaos Studios. And then, through a stroke of genius, finally settled on Blizzard in that same year. So in 1994, with a new moniker, new branding in tow, Blizzard released a game called Blackthorn for the SNES, which was a side-scroller that would come to feature the enemy orcs later seen in Warcraft. In November of that year, Blizzard would release Warcraft, Orcs and Humans. It had immediate success with the inclusion of online multiplayer, land networks where gamers could go head-to-head against one another, and it generated very large amounts of mass appeal by featuring characters that were both catchy and likable. With the release of Warcraft Orcs and Humans, Blizzard was finally profitable. The follow-up, Warcraft 2, Tides of Darkness, would be released for the DOS at the very end of 1995, which was an overall improvement to its former, thanks to the inclusion of Battle.net, mapmaker, and multiplayer combat over local area networking. In 1995, Command & Conquer would be an adversary in the market, you know, going directly up against Blizzard. I think we all know who won the long game on that one, though. Blizzard began working on the StarCraft license in 1995 as well, two years before Diablo was released. So up until this point, Blizzard had cultivated a fan following because of their company mantra, which was to worry about the quality of the games and not focus so much on sales targets, demographics, and deadlines. I think major publishers in 2019 could learn a lot about mid-90s Blizzard. In fact, Blizzard liked to put games out well before they were even supposed to be out. However, Blizzard did have some creative missteps along the way. They partnered up with Animation Magic, the folks behind the infamously bad Zelda CDI titles, and they did that in the hopes of working on Warcraft Adventures, which unfortunately is a cancelled 2D adventure title which was all the rage in the 90s, that genre in particular. The game was suffering in development hell, and by the time it was near completion, the adventure game fad was kind of starting to peter out, due to games being enriched in 3D worlds and different concepts. In 1996, two years later, Blizzard acquired Condor Games and named it Blizzard North, which gave the company a campus in UC Irvine and in San Mateo, California. Let's skip one more year. Diablo is born in a new era of dungeon crawling and a storm of loot fell upon the world. Diablo 1. Just to kind of go off on a little bit of a tangent here, I used to play Diablo 1 on the oldest of computers. I always picked warrior classes, and I had a lot of fun traversing Tristam, the background music of which you can hear in the recording behind this. And 
there was just something that was very special about the game, as dark as it was. Diablo was an eagle-eyed, isometric, role-playing game slash dungeon crawler that was dipped in dark, pretty much satanic imagery. It featured a handful of character classes that we, the players, could pick from. And from there, you would dive headfirst into randomly generated dungeons in pursuit of loot, new weapons, armor, all the while building yourself up to defeat the dreadful Butcher, and eventually, Diablo himself. Diablo was innovative, polished, and generally lauded as one of the best dungeon crawlers of all time. This was also the same year Blizzard launched their online gaming service, Battle.net, which hosted their online network and allowed for competitive and cooperative play over the internet. I really like Diablo 1. I really, really like Diablo 1. The next year, Blizzard's Chris Matson and James Finney would create and release the titular space-based RTS StarCraft. Set in the 26th century, three species would war and war some more in a real-time strategy setting as the StarCraft franchise would go on to get an amazing sequel, eight novels, a board game, and tons of licensed merchandise, ranging from action figures to statues. In 2017, Blizzard announced StarCraft Remastered that would feature up-to-date graphics, new dialogue, and brand new audio. StarCraft and its expansion, Brood War, are actually free to play right now on Battle.net. If you haven't done that, go ahead, hop right onto it. Citing Wikipedia here, on June 20th, 2003, Blizzard issued a cease and desist letter to the developers of an open-source clone of the Warcraft engine called FreeCraft, claiming trademark infringement. This hobby project had the same gameplay and characters as Warcraft 2, but came with different graphics and music. As well as a similar name, Freecraft enabled players to use Warcraft 2 graphics, provided they had the Warcraft 2 CD. The programmers of the clone actually shut down their site without any challenge. Soon after, the developers regrouped to continue the work by the name Strategist. I'm sure that's going to end very well. In 2002, Blizzard releases Warcraft 3, Reign of Chaos. Staying in line with the eagle-eyed overview RTS style that was so popular with the previous entries, Warcraft 3 was set for success. However, Warcraft 3 could not have been possible without the sacrifice of Warcraft Adventures mentioned earlier in the show. Warcraft Adventures was canned to kind of free up development space for Warcraft 3. The third entry in the Warcraft series introduced players to one of Blizzard's most popular characters, Arthas Menethil. I hope I didn't pronounce that wrong. Anyway, it was the first time we saw the Human Alliance, Orc Horde, and Night Elves team up before Arthas could corrupt the World Tree. The game received acclaim from critics, who praised the game's presentation and multiplayer features. 
It's actually considered an influential example of real-time strategy games. Warcraft 3 was also a commercial success, shipping 4.4 million copies to retail stores, with over a million sold within the first month of its release. Later, Blizzard would actually go on to reacquire the rights for three of their old games, Lost Vikings, Rock and Roll Racing, and Blackthorn, and re-release them on the Game Boy Advance. In May of 2005, Blizzard announced that they had purchased Swinging Ape Studios, a developer that they contracted to work on StarCraft Ghost for the company. The story of StarCraft Ghost is a very long and complicated one. It was actually set to release on PS2, Xbox, GameCube, but that never actually happened. StarCraft Ghost was set to be a third-person shooter, and again quoting Wikipedia, was intended to give players a closer and more personal view of the StarCraft universe. The game was consistently delayed and during the third quarter of 2004, Nihilistic discontinued the work on the project. Blizzard stated that Nihilistic had completed the tasks that it had been contracted for, and the game would be completed on time. In July of 2004, Blizzard Entertainment began collaboration with Swinging Ape Studios to work on the game, and bought the company in May of 2005, like I mentioned previously. Despite anticipation for the game by industry journalists, Ghost was delayed again, and its release date was pushed back to September of 2005. So, that year's E3, Ghost was officially reannounced, but the GameCube version was cancelled by Swingin' Ape Studios due to the platform's lack of online support. The game's release was again delayed until 2006. You can see how this is kind of a tumultuous area of development hell for Blizzard. So despite the efforts of Swinging Ape Studios, Ghost failed to materialize as scheduled, and in March of 2006, Blizzard Entertainment announced an indefinite postponement on development of Ghost, while the company explored new options, with the emerging 7th console generation. Blizzard's president, Mike Morhaime, gave a presentation on the company's history at the DICE Summit in February 2008, skipping three years. During the presentation, they listed games cancelled by Blizzard, which did not include Ghost. When Mike Morhaime was questioned about this, Blizzard's co-founder, Frank Pierce, explained that the title was never technically cancelled, but that it was not in the company's focus at the time due to a finite amount of development resources. On September 23, 2014, in an interview with Polygon.com, Mike Morhaime finally confirmed that StarCraft Ghost was also cancelled. Ramus, Leroy Jenkins, and Walking to the Molten Core 
the gongs of war had been sound. On November 23rd, 2004, Blizzard released World of Warcraft. WoW, as I'll call it from here on, was a subscription-based, wildly popular MMORPG, which stands for multiplayer, I'm sorry, massively multiplayer online role-playing game. Players picked between the Nefarious Horde or the Valiant Alliance picked a class and were on their way doing fetch quests, leveling up, doing raids with friends, emoting, pretty much doing anything they wanted. Characters can choose between two primary professions that focused on producing items such as tailoring, blacksmithing, or jewel crafting, or on gathering from resource places such as skinning or mining. Characters could learn all four secondary skills, archaeology, cooking, fishing, and first aid. Characters were even able to form and join guilds, which allowed characters within the guild access to the guild's chat channel, a guild name, optionally allowing other features, including a guild tabard, guild bank, repairs, and dues. WoW featured PvP, which is player versus player combat, and PvE, which is player versus environment content, which was topped off by Battlegrounds, which was a free-for-all mode that proved quite popular. WoW peaked at 12 million monthly subscriptions in 2010. WoW subscriptions sunk, unfortunately, to 6.8 million in 2014, the lowest number since the end of 2006, two years after the launch of WoW Vanilla. There were seven major expansions to World of Warcraft. The Burning Crusade, Wrath of the Lich King, Cataclysm, Mists of Pandaria, Warlords of Draenor, Legion, and Battle for Azeroth. So, as I mentioned earlier, Blizzard released Diablo in 1997. Unfortunately, it was met with the warmest of welcomes from games press, consumers, and more. But I didn't really touch on Diablo 2 very much, so I'd like to go ahead and do that now. Diablo 2, released in the year 2000, kept with the same dungeon-crawling, devilish motif of the original, but seriously di dialed things up to 11. My favorite class, of course, is the Paladin. No cow was left alive. In its debut day on shelves, Diablo II sold 184,000 units. The game's global sales reached 1 million copies after two weeks, and 2 million after one and a half months. It was actually awarded a spot in the Guinness Book of World Records, the 2000 edition, for being the fastest selling computer game ever sold at the time with more than 1 million units sold in the first two weeks of availability. As an aside, both Diablo and Diablo 2 had expansions. Diablo Hellfire for the former, and Diablo 2, Lord of Destruction, for the latter. Both brought new areas and character classes to the mix, and were very well liked by consumers and hunters of cows alike.
While we're on the subject of the Infernal Lord himself, Blizzard released Diablo 3 on PC in 2012, and on consoles in 2013, to major customer backlash. Diablo 3 gave the player seven character classes, Barbarian, Crusader, Demon Hunter, Monk, Necromancer, Witch Doctor, or Wizard. This is kind of where the episode starts revealing some pretty major critical missteps of Blizzards, so kind of get ready for that. If you bought Diablo 3 at launch, you probably remember Era 37. I personally do. The goddamn horror of Era 37. Diablo's third iteration followed in the footsteps of the previous two, hardly deviating from it, but instead growing the franchise in such a way that it made the looting more sporadic, timed, and hard to get, essentially, the, the rare items. What I mean to say is that Blizzard complicated the RNG metagame. That's randomly generated loot drops and percentages, for those of you who were kind of not knowing what RNG was. So in Diablo 3, that made getting the great loot rather difficult. As I mentioned earlier, there was also Era 37 on launch night. What that did... Basically, it made the servers of the game crap out, rendering online play completely useless and impossible. There was also the scandal of the real money auction, which shut down in 2014, thankfully. The real money auction was announced in 2011. The idea seemed good until it wasn't. Citing Wired.com here, quote, Diablo doesn't have more dungeons or more bosses. Players just play the same progression of levels on harder and harder difficulty levels picking up better and better loot. In other words, the loot isn't just a helping hand towards their ultimate goal. Better loot is the ultimate goal. And with the auction house, players found that the best way to obtain it was just to buy it. And the next thing you know, they're not playing the game anymore. Why would they? When the reward structure that would otherwise motivate them to play was no longer there. Without the promise of better stuff, Diablo was all stick and no carrot. End quote. But basically, it broke the game's whole point. So Blizzard had had enough of it. And shut the auction house down in 2014. Moving right along though, an expansion pack called Reaper of Souls was released for the original PC versions of the game in March of 2014. It was later released for consoles as part of the Diablo 3 Ultimate Evil Edition version in August of 2014. The Diablo 3 Rise of the Necromancer pack was later released for the Windows, Mac, and latest generation console editions of the game in June of 2017. Diablo 3, The Eternal Collection, combined Reaper of Souls and Rise of the Necromancer and was released for the PlayStation 4 and Xbox One in June. And for the Nintendo Switch as well, in November of 2018. This is where the story kind of starts to get a little bit better. Following this release, Blizzard put a ton of support into Diablo 3. They understood where they went wrong, and promised to support the game in the years following Diablo 3's strange, weird, broken launch. Nowadays, you can find Diablo 3 being one of the most fun, complete, single-player co-op experiences out there. If only the Diablo franchise wasn't seemingly cursed though, because just a few years later, <laughs> Blizzard announced Diablo Immortal, a free-to-play, mobile Diablo game. Again, it was only on mobile. It is only on mobile, with no plans in sight for a new Diablo. Now, I'm not of the mind that a game developer has to come out with a new game to keep gamers satiated. In fact, I think gamers expect a ridiculous amount without knowing the pitfalls of game development and the staggering size of work required to put a game out to market. 
So no, I don't think Blizzard gets a red card for not releasing Diablo 4, but they should have known their consumer. From a professional standpoint, Blizzard should not have ended BlizzCon 2018 with a mobile game pointing at a very heavy PC user base in attendance. So now, the existence of Diablo Immortal probably has something to do with the unification of, you know, Activision, but we'll get to that later. Let's talk about that Warcraft movie. Besides extremely popular RTS games, a ridiculously cultural MMO, a MOBA, which we'll talk about later in the show, and a trading card game battler, which again I'm going to bring up later in the show, did you know that Blizzard dove into the dark realm of Hollyweird? Yes, that's right. There was a highly produced, over-marketed Warcraft film, and it was met with eh, not-so-favorable reviews. Maybe the expectations were too high. I'm not sure. Either way, the film was first announced in 2006 as a project partnership between Legendary Pictures and the game's developer, Blizzard Entertainment. Warcraft premiered on May 24, 2016 and was released by Universal Studios in the United States on June 10, 2016. Despite a disappointing domestic box office performance and the film and script receiving pretty negative reviews from critics, the film actually grossed $433 million worldwide, which if you consider the fact that the film had a $160 million, of course, shoestring budget, that's a pretty penny. So for those of you who actually haven't seen the movie, it's kind of pretty. If that's anything to go off of, the CG is actually really, really good and features some pretty realistic, if not a little bit disturbing, baby orcs. Y'all know that theme. I know y'all do. I love Hearthstone. Who doesn't? Hearthstone is Blizzard's still active and extremely popular trading card game battler. Development of Hearthstone at Blizzard was inspired by two directions, according to developer Eric Dodds. A desire for Blizzard to develop something more experimental with a smaller team in contrast to their larger projects and their shared love of collectible card games throughout the company. Hearthstone builds upon the existing lore of the Warcraft series by using the same elements, characters, and relics. It was first released for Microsoft Windows and then Mac OS in March of 2014, with ports for iOS and Android releasing later that same year. The game features cross-platform play, which allowed characters and players on any supported device to compete with one another, restricted only by geographical region account limits. Hearthstone has been supported by Blizzard since its release four years ago. Blizzard provides regular bug fixes, updates, and expansions for Hearthstone as well. Hamilton Chu, the former executive producer for Hearthstone, stated that Blizzard intends to support the game for 10 to 20 years, which is super awesome. To be honest, I couldn't list all the expansions even if I wanted to. It would take forever. I mean, I guess I could, but maybe like speed up the audio? Okay, without further ado, here's every Hearthstone card expansion. 1. Goblins vs. Gnomes 2. The Grand Tournament 3. Whispers of the Old Gods 4. Mean Streets of Gagestan 5. Journey to Ungudor 6. Knights of the Frozen Throne 7. Kobolds and Catacombs 8. The Witchwood 9. The Boomsbay Project 10. Rakastan Drumble 
There's also separate adventures. Also, One Night in Karazhan, The League of Explorers, Blackrock Mountain, and finally, The Curse of Naxxramus. I don't know. Y'all literally clicked on this podcast and subscribed to it and gave me five stars. You did this to yourself. Funny story. Actually, one time in one of my old podcasts, I did a entire reading of a Skyrim book. I need to find that. Anyway, moving on. Heroes of the Storm is a MOBA. Even if Blizzard doesn't want to call it a MOBA, it's a MOBA. It was developed and published by Blizzard Entertainment for Windows and Mac, and it was released on June the 2nd, 2015. The game features heroes from Blizzard's franchises, which included Warcraft, Diablo, Starcraft, The Lost Vikings, and Overwatch. The game uses both free-to-play and freemium models and is supported by micropayments, which can be used to purchase heroes, visual, like, skins for the heroes in the game, and respectively mounts as well. Heroes of the Storm revolves around online 5 vs 5 matches ran through Blizzard's online gaming service Battle.net. Heroes of the Storm received generally favorable reviews upon release. Metacritic calculated an average score of 86 out of 100, indicating generally favorable reviews. Based on 57 reviews, of course. On December 13, 2018, Blizzard announced that some developers from Heroes of the Storm would be moving to other projects and that the game would be transitioning to a long-term support phase. Blizzard also announced the cancellation of their eSports tournament, Heroes Global Championship, and Heroes of the Dorm. It seems that Blizzard is focusing on its priorities to other titles, and that Heroes has taken a hit in popularity. I personally used to play a lot. My main was Tyriel, the angel from Diablo 3, and Sylvana, the elf sharpshooter. I thought the game was a lot of fun when I played it. It was stylish, polished, and offered some pretty great rewards if you played each day. It was a blast to play with friends. It's like... Blizzard took their lessons learned from Heroes of the Storm and applied it to the next game. If there was only some way to combine the frantic hero-based combat of heroes and maybe transition it to a more consumer-friendly first-person viewpoint that wasn't a MOBA? Or, I'm sorry, whatever Blizzard calls it. Like, what if there was a game like that? What if... Blizzard. Overwatch was a cultural event. Overwatch is a team-based multiplayer first-person shooter. Released on May 24, 2016 for PlayStation 4, Xbox One, and Windows. Described as a hero shooter, Overwatch assigns players into two teams of six, with each player selecting from a roster of nearly 30 characters, known as heroes, each with a unique style of play whose roles are divided into three general categories that best fit their role. 
Overwatch is Blizzard's fourth major franchise and came about following the 2014 cancellation of the ambitious, massively multiplayer online role-playing game, Titan. A portion of the Titan team actually came up with the concept of Overwatch, based on the success of team-based first-person shooters like Team Fortress 2 and the glowing and growing popularity of multiplayer online battle arenas. Creating a hero-based shooter that emphasized teamwork was the name of the game. After establishing the narrative of an optimistic, near-future Earth settling after a global crisis, the developers aimed to create a diverse cast of heroes that spanned genders and ethnicities as part of its setting. Significant time is spent adjusting the balance of the characters during development, making sure that new players would still be able to have fun while skilled players would present each other with a challenge. Overwatch was unveiled at BlizzCon 2014 in a fully playable state. An open beta in May 2016 drew in nearly 10 million players. The release of the game was promoted with short animated videos to introduce the game's narrative in each of the characters. Upon official release, Overwatch received universal acclaim from critics, who praised the game for its accessibility, diverse appeal of its hero characters, bright cartoonish art style, and enjoyable gameplay. Blizzard reported over $1 billion in revenue during the first year of its release, and had more than 40 million players after two years. Overwatch is considered to be one of the greatest video games of all time, receiving numerous Game of the Year awards, alongside many other accolades. The game has also been recognized as an esport, with Blizzard themselves helping to fund and produce professional leagues, such as the Overwatch League. I usually wrap a show up with some meaningful words about the game studio, game, or developer luminary I'm talking about, but in this case, I would like to address the layoffs that just recently happened at Activision Blizzard. Using this platform of Industry Games, the podcast, I want to make it very clear that I don't think it's justifiable or morally acceptable in the slightest for Activision and Blizzard to haphazardly abandon over 800 employees with almost no warning. Of those 800 employees who did receive severance, many were 1099 temp to hires, contractors, who received absolutely no severance pay post layoff. This would not have happened if there was a case for unification in games and our industry. Please consider the facts behind these layoffs. I understand that allocation of these employees was impossible, with the near shutting down of Heroes of the Storm and the lack of a major new title releasing in 2019 from Blizzard, but if that's the case, then why is there no big project incoming? With the revenue that they got, I know that we as games consumers complain a lot about how big companies handle certain situations, 
But if you are interested in making a change in the way big AAA publishers conduct business, then promptly learn to please speak with your wallet and enact that financial change. Personally, I believe if the company conducts business in a way that is morally ambiguous to you, you, as the consumer in a capitalist society, have the power to change this industry. Alright, thank you guys so much for listening to the Industry Games Podcast. This episode is brought to you by 8bit.net and Pod Paradise. The music for the show is from copyright free music agencies and YouTube and by Mitch Murder. You can find him on SoundCloud at Mitch Murder. This script was written by me and recorded and produced by me. We are launching a Patreon soon that's going to feature exclusive content and a YouTube channel that's dedicated to industry so that you can literally watch these episodes. We're also on social media as well, so you can find us on Instagram at IndustryPod and Twitter at IndustryCast. Also, be sure to give us those coveted five-star reviews on iTunes and Google Play. We're on there now too. All in all, there's tons of exciting things coming from the industry team and we can't wait for you to be a part of it. We're launching episode one of Industry Talk very soon with an awesome special first guest and an excellent episode two with another awesome second guest. Either way, please follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Eldar Talks and my other script writer at Derek Logic on Twitter. I really hope you learned something and we'll see you next time here on the Industry Games Podcast.